Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be discussing the paintings that can be found throughout the building. Jess is back as our guest today. Hi everyone, good to be back. She's the Director of Community Engagement. How today's episode will be structured is I'm going to give a brief overview of the paintings visually. Um, They will also be posted on the Instagram and Facebook pages for the Scranton Public Library so everyone can see them for themselves. Or if you want to stop in, the three paintings in reference and the one above the fireplace in circulation can be seen on any given day. Do you know anything about the paintings up here in reference? Uh, Up here in reference, I probably should know more than I do. I know that we have... Joe and John Albright, and that's pretty much all I know. So John and Joseph Albright are the two prominent paintings that you see as you're going up the stairs into the reference department. Mm -hmm. And then a portrait of William T. Smith is located in the reference department above the bookcase on your left-hand side. It has a little sign with it that says who it is and how it got there, which I will also be going over during this episode. So William T. Smith actually commissioned his painting and the one for John Albright. William T. Smith was the vice president of the First Library Board. His painting features him seated in a black suit with a bow tie. He has gray hair and a full neatly trimmed beard. His hands rest on his knees with curled fingers that aren't quite a fist, but kind of just like a casual resting pose. He's wearing a ring on his left hand, and then the frame is gold and includes leaves and floral motifs. The painting of John J. Albright, who executed his father's will that left the land to the Albright Memorial Library, is located on the left-hand side when you're walking up the stairs, And then if you are looking at the stained glass from standing at the reference desk in the reference department, it is on the right. Albright is shown seated in a wooden chair with his left hand on the arm of the chair while his head leans on his right hand. He has blonde hair and a mustache and is wearing a black suit with a white undershirt. In terms of accessories, he is wearing a watch that is partly visible underneath the sleeve of his shirt and a ring on his right hand. Then he also has a white, partly crumpled pocket square. The frame is gold as well and has a highly decorative floral pattern. As I mentioned before, William T. Smith commissioned the two paintings from Theobald Chartran. In Smith's will, he donated the paintings of John J. Albright along with his personal library collection to the Albright Memorial Library. His wife would also include her personal copy of the portrait Chartran did of him, with these donations to the library, which is how we acquired all of them. The Scranton Republican would call these works at the Albert Morrow Library to be a few examples of Chartrand's work at its best. So now I'm going to talk about Chartrand himself and his biography and other works that he did. Born in 1849, Chartrand would begin to study art in Paris by the time he was 18 years old. This led to his first major work being a painting of the Archbishop of Paris that won him the 1877 Grand Prix that was located in Rome. From here, influential European figures such as the Princess of Saxony and the Duchess of Rohan wanted to be painted by him. By the late 1890s, Chartrand and his wife moved to New York City to live and work. They would work out of Astor Court, which was located near their residence, 
that was in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. So very fancy, very rich. Mm-hmm. He became very popular in the United States after painting Presidents William McKinley and Theodore Roosevelt, along with Alice Roosevelt, Leslie M. Shaw, and Admiral George Dewey. When I was doing my research, I discovered that he would often paint these portraits very quickly. Do you want to guess the time frame? Okay, I'm going to go with 24 hours. No, not that quick, but it took about a week to six days. Wow, So that's fast. When he did McKinley's portrait, it was right after he was elected to the presidency. So he took a train from New York City to Ohio, painted McKinley, like did the sketches, everything. Within a week, he completely finished the portrait and was having it shipped back to him. Wow. So that included two train rides because he did transport back to New York City. So he painted very quick. His most noted works are centered around Theodore Roosevelt and his presidency. In 1902, Chartrand painted the official First Lady portrait of Edith Roosevelt that is located in the White House collection today. This painting started the tradition of portraits of the First Lady being displayed for the public to see in the public areas of the White House. He did paint a portrait of Theodore Roosevelt, as I had mentioned, but Roosevelt absolutely hated it. He thought it made him look timid, and he had it placed just in a dark corner of the White House and then commissioned John Singer Sargent to paint a different portrait of him. Oh, boy. Later in life, Theobald would begin to take commissions to make money to live his life and pay for his expenses. This led to stylistic changes from his early works, and many critics believed that his artistic ability suffered. He would then die in Paris in July of 1907, leaving behind a lasting legacy of work, which includes our paintings along with the paintings of U.S. presidents. Wow. It's quite the career. It is. And I was very surprised when I was looking into this that we had somebody who did paint all of these diplomats and highly important people, and then then he also did the important people to our library. Yeah, yeah. Like the... Vice President of the First Library Board, and that's really cool. John Albright, who helped donate and structure the library itself. That's so amazing! It is. That's a really cool connection. So now I will talk about the third painting, which is of Joseph J. Albright, who is John's father, who left his land to the Albright in his will, and whose house occupied the space that we are on now. His portrait can be seen hanging right in the center above the doorway that leads into the reference department when you walk up the stairs. He has graying hair and a decent-sized beard that is obscuring a bow tie. He is dressed in a suit with a white shirt and is shown seated with both arms resting on the armrests of the chair he is in. The frame is thinner than the other two, and the decoration around the border is just as ornate, if you look closely. So Bayard Henry Tyler painted this portrait, and the Scranton Tribune called it a singularly perfect likeness to Mr. Albright. Tyler was born in Oneida, New York, before being educated at the New York Academy of Design. Working out of Yonkers, New York, he was known for his portraiture and landscape paintings that often included the Catskills and the Hudson Valley areas of New York State. In the Scranton Tribune, they say that he had a definite genius in painting subjects in middle life and old age. 
It is also interesting that he also painted a portrait of Theodore Roosevelt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of connections to Teddy in this yeah. episode. <laughs> Uh, Theodore Roosevelt did seem to like his portrait much better than the one done by Chartrand because he agreed for it to be placed in the Municipal Portrait Gallery in Albany, New York, since he was a governor of the state at one point. Tyler's painting of Joseph Albright was donated to the Albright Memorial Library by Albright's daughter, Jenny Bennell, on November 8, 1902. The Scranton Tribune commented that the likeness of the portrait is singularly perfect, a fact made more interesting since the only available photograph of Mr. Albright was a small card, and that Mr. Albright's daughters were satisfied with their father's portrait. It is also worth mentioning that the painting was to be placed in the hall near the broad staircase where an excellent light is to be secured, which is pretty much the same spot that it is today. Yeah. That was about all I could find on the painting of Joseph Albright, Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's interesting connections to the painting of his son and then Mr. Smith, all in the reference section, all with ties to Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, that's that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. So now I'll move down into the paintings that are on the first floor of the Albright Memorial Library. The first one is one that I know that you were interested in, Mm -hmm. which is the painting... In the circulation department, there's a fireplace of Italian marble, and above it is this painting that I believe was donated to the Albright. I have no idea. I wasn't able to find much about it, but I did find some information. It features four women wearing traditional Dutch clothing with Dutch hats, aprons, and dresses. Three of the women are working on needlepoint crafts while sitting, and it's assumed that this could be some type of embroidery or cross-stitch. An older fourth woman seems to be preparing drinks as she converses with one of the seated women. In the top right of the canvas, a window is painted to show the tops of buildings in the surrounding neighborhood. There is an ornamental grilled frame that has the patterns of leaves and flowers. I was only able to find the bare minimum about the painter. So it is signed V. Olbert in the bottom corner. He has similar paintings that can be found on auction websites online. One that sold in 2019 states that it was painted in the 19th century. So I would assume that our painting is also right around that time frame. Okay. That painting had five men in traditional Dutch dress, smoking and drinking at a table in front of a window that looked very similar to the one in our painting, because it had open shutters and red roofs and buildings outside of it, Mm -hmm. and it would make sense for it to have been almost a series, because a few other of his paintings that I've seen are more portraiture, like single-figure high paintings and that's really all i was able to find on that one. Oh wow okay well at least it's something it's something <laughs> if you know anything at all please write in my email will be at the end or give out the library a call the number will also be at the end so now we'll move on to the paintings and murals that are in the administrative offices which is where you work yep These murals were painted by Elizabeth Arthur for the children's area of the library. This happened back when the children's library 
didn't exist yet and it was still the church of christian science and then the children's section was where the administrative offices are now and you have to imagine that there's a divider wall between where my desk is and a few other desks and then the director's office that divider wasn't there so technically when you would go in you would be able to see all the murals like all around i said but now it's not quite like that yes but yes that makes sense yeah there are 12 murals in total that depict fairy tales and scenes from american history in terms of fairy tales they depict robin hood little boy blue heidi lassie and hansel and gretel the robin hood mural depicts him shooting an arrow into the woods while marion friar tuck and others look on Little Boy Blue can be seen sleeping under a hay bale with the trumpet while field mice look on, and a cow can be seen eating grass in the background. Hansel and Gretel are eating treats they have gotten from the witch's house in a field with flowers, and then Heidi is surrounded by goats wearing an apron in the grass. Lassie is shown being pet by Timmy with a house in the background. I will then go on to the history murals. And these are the group of the ones that focus on scenes from American history, and then I'm going to do people from American history. Okay. So the events include the Pony Express, the Battle of 1812, and a prairie schooner. For the Pony Express mural, a man is riding a black horse anxiously galloping along a road. The man is holding a revolver for protection from highwaymen, while his saddle contains the pockets containing the mail. In the scene with the prairie schooners, two carts can be seen. In between them are a number of animals, including cows, oxen, and horses. People are walking alongside the path to keep the animals in line and so they don't run off. In the scene involving the War of 1812, it features a naval battle. It looks similar to paintings that I've seen uh, about the Battle of Lake Erie, so it's possible that it was dramatic naval scenes from the War of 1812. Mm I can't say that for certain, but it's an interesting concept because it was that was one of the most dramatic parts of that war mm-hmm. were the naval battles on the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the final set of murals depict people from American history. A young Abe Lincoln, who seems to be about boyhood age, is shown lying on the ground reading a book next to a black cat. It is possible that this is meant to take place in his childhood log cabin, as there are cooking pots hanging from a fireplace behind him. George Washington is depicted leading troops into battle while riding his white horse, whose name was Blueskin. He is using a saber to motion to where the troops should be headed next. The mural of Paul Revere shows him galloping along the road past a household, yelling to the man that is standing in the doorway. In the background, Arthur included a rendition of the Old North Church, where the lanterns were hung according to the legend. The final mural features the legend of Molly Pitcher, who in reality was a combination of Deborah Sampson, Molly Lodwig Hayes, Macaulay, and Margaret Corbin. It shows Molly manning the cannon during the Revolutionary War battle after her husband was shot by the British. The British Redcoats and other Continental soldiers are shown surrounding her. Since you work in the area where the murals are do you have a favorite one um probably abe lincoln because i see him every day um that mural is right across from my desk so it's easy to see um and i just kind of wave and go oh hey abe 
every time I go to work <laughs> and we start the day. <laughs> Do you know anything about Elizabeth Arthur as a person? I know a little bit about her. I know she worked here at one time and that's when she uh, did those paintings. I know there was an article uh, written about her, I believe by her niece was interviewed. <laughs> um, and it seemed like she was a very creative person in life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Elizabeth Arthur was born in New York City before training as an artist and moving to Scranton. She primarily worked in watercolors and sketches in her personal life, but was employed by the Scranton Art Department of the International Correspondence School in Scranton. She would also go on to work for the Eureka Specialty Printing Company, which designed specialty paper materials, such as Christmas seals, to be sold as a fundraiser for the Tuberculosis Society, and war ration books during the World War II. Starting in 1933, Arthur would be employed through a special assistance program to paint the murals of the Scranton Public Library. It is thought that this was possibly part of a Works Progress Administration project, but the newspaper articles I found could not confirm this. She continued to paint the murals through 1951. During this time, she also designed the certificate for the Vacation Reading Club, which is a precursor to the summer reading program that we have today. The theme for 1935, when she designed this certificate, was the Explorers Club. So it had to be cute with like little explorers and probably compasses. She was also employed by the Scranton Public Library in the Technical Services Department in 1948. Her duties would include lettering the books for circulation. In the mid-1950s, she would retire before moving to Washington, D.C., where she would live with one of her nieces for a time before passing away unexpectedly in April of 1966 in Maryland. Well, I have Elizabeth Arthur to thank that I have a beautiful workspace every day. Yes. It really is a, a privilege. Yes, I feel like the paintings really add a sense of life yes. to the building. Yes, they do. Although I will say, as, a, as an employee here, having uh, John and Joseph Albright looking down on us every day, it's kind of like, you better make sure you do a good job because they're watching. <laughs> feel like that sometimes yes and it was very interesting looking into the history of them mm-hmm. and all of the paintings within the building it definitely was something i didn't know about beforehand Mm-mm. i just assumed they kind of were given to the library and yeah done by local artists not these more well-known well-established yeah. painters that also painted diplomats yeah <laughs> so and i truly thought that the paintings in my office, admin office, I truly thought that they were always there. And then to find out that it wasn't until starting in the 30s, right? Yes. Yeah, um, that, you know, that that's when they came about. Yeah, so that's almost 50, 40, 50 years yeah. after we opened Yeah. they were originally included. It looks like they just fit there. It really does. It does. Yeah, they were designed perfectly to mm-hmm. bring life and fit the spaces that were needed. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for this week. Thank you for uh, letting me come on again and talk about paintings that I didn't really know too much, so I learned a lot today. Yes. (laughs) Next week, we're having a different sort of episode. We're going to do fall book recommendations from the staff and then also discuss what we are currently reading and what we are looking forward to reading. 
In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you.